What is an outsourced CCO? That is today's question on the Transition to RA question and answer series. It is question number 58. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontora.com, uh, you can see the show notes from today's episode, as well as all the other resources I put out there from the video series, podcast series, white papers, uh, all kinds of great resources. Again, transitiontora.com. Okay, on today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about a very important topic, and it's it's compliance related. Now, compliance is not the most exciting, sexy topic in the entire RA space, but it is one of the most important topics uh, that that needs to be managed in that RA space. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is one of the ways you can manage that responsibility. So with that, for those of you watching on video, I have Jeff Chapman with Dinsmore Compliance Services. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Brad, thanks for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to just talk a little bit about compliance with your, uh, with your team. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be a, a good conversation. So just a quick uh, kind of lead in, and then I'm going to turn it back to Jeff to uh, provide a little background on, on himself and his firm. So uh, any RIA, if you were to start an RIA, you, you, do, you are responsible for compliance. And there are pros and cons to that. I've talked about this topic in a number of episodes. And the question is, how do you manage that responsibility? So for some folks, you might join an existing RIA. And, and at that point, you're essentially outsourcing that responsibility to someone else. But to the degree you are going to have your own RA, you do need to manage that responsibility somehow. And there's different flavors of how you can do that. And so what we're going to be talking about on today's episode is the concept of an outsourced CCO. So an outsourced chief compliance officer. That's what Jeff's the expert on. He's going to help us understand what that is and how that might be a fit for your individual practice. Uh, so, Jeff, before we dive into the questions, if you could give a brief background on yourself and your firm, I think that would be helpful. Great. Thanks, Brad. Uh, I've been in the financial services industry for over 30 years, most of that time in um, running businesses, mostly capital markets businesses for regional banks. Um, and uh, as you probably know, after, after the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, that became a lot less interesting. So um, my partner, Kevin Woodard, and I formed our firm in 2016. Kevin and I had worked together and have worked together now for over 20 years in some form or fashion. Um, he is the compliance expert. He supported my businesses uh, in, in the capital markets arena. And I always had a great working relationship with him as uh, he is the compliance officer that is not the, uh, excuse me, not the hell no compliance officer. He always understood this is a business we have to operate please identify the risks and let us make business decisions. And that was a great working relationship. And I think is what you're looking for in a compliance officer. So we talked about uh, forming our firm and um, taking this on the road as we understood, frankly, that there's a great need for compliance expertise out there for investment advisors. And those advisors many times form their firm. And um, we like to say it's a bar bet somewhere that somebody loses and has to have that CCO responsibility. And it just isn't what they got in the business to do. So we think it's a great opportunity for 
advisors who are forming or are growing and need more expertise to outsource that function. And we for, formed our firm in, in 2016, and um, it, it's been a real ride since then. We've had a lot of acceptance. We've got clients across the country, and, and we really have um, exceeded our expectations in terms of growth. So there, we found a real need, and, and we're filling that need. Perfect. Well, I think that's a wonderful background. That's going to dovetail perfectly into some of these questions. So to, to start with, and you kind of alluded to it, uh, for the viewers here that are that are listening or watching or whatever the case is um, that aren't familiar, if you start an RIA, uh, what what is that CCO responsibility? So obviously, okay, generically speaking, I'm responsible for my own compliance, but are you required to name a person, do you have to hire a person? What is what is the requirement there from just kind of a baseline? Yeah, under Rule 20647, it's uh, required that you name someone a CCO. Um, and you have to establish policies, procedures, and manuals that are going to guide your firm and, and have them be consistent with SEC rules. And then it's required that you review those rules on an annual basis. So it's absolutely required that you fill this position and someone, some person, a, a real person has to be named that for that responsibility. So uh, coming out of the gates, um, someone will be the named CCL. Yeah, and you, you can see for those that don't know, I mean, if you look at any RA's ADV, it literally has to name who that person is. Um, in, in your experience, just in general, and then and we'll get into again, uh, what, what an outsourced CCO is, but I typically see, you know, an, an RA until you get to uh, a size that you're so big that you can you can potentially afford to hire a full time compliance person in house. It's it it usually is just someone wearing a multiple hat, and it could be the main principal, the main owner. That's that, and you kind of alluded to, you know, hey, what do, where's it you want to spend your time? Uh, but they also are that name CCO. Is that is that generally what you see with you know smaller mid-sized firms again if you get to a couple billion maybe maybe you have the resources to hire in-house but is that typically what you see it, it is typically what we see and um so as someone has named that cco they also might be listed on the adv as the chief investment officer and the ceo um and i will tell you that the sec over the last couple of years has has said that um they are looking for people that wear multiple hats and they're realists they understand that probably the cco uh, work is the uh, is the last thing in the day that the person's working on. So when they see people wearing multiple hats and, and have multiple titles in the firm, they get extra scrutiny. And um, uh, we we think that that's an opportunity to um, to outsource that function and, and make sure that it's taken care of. And so so short of that full outsource, which which we're going to dive into. So you know, in theory, as I, as I point out to folks, there's no regulatory response or requirement, sorry, that says you have to engage any sort of third-party uh, compliance consultant firm to help you with any of it. Now, it's it's absolutely the best practice. It's absolutely utilized by essentially every RA that, that, is, that is trying to do the right thing. Um, personally, if someone came to me and they wanted to start an RA and they said, oh, I'm not going to use one of those folks, I, I would not even work with them because that's just a sign they're, they're not willing to, to do this correctly. Um, but for that, uh, that typical scenario that they are, and I've done episodes on, on the different kinds of compliance consultants and things like that, what, what, what is the sh something short of this outsource? And the reason I'm doing this is just kind of build it up to understand, okay, how it, how it changes or how it's different. What is the, 
when when uh, RA works with the, someone's got that multiple hat on and they're working with a compliance consultant, what does typically that arrangement look like from a who's doing what perspective? So when uh, folks are forming an RIA, many times they'll reach out and find a consultant, a, a compliance consultant. Um, while we do some of that work, about 80% of our work is the outsourced CCO work, but uh, folks will reach out, find a compliance consultant to help them form their advisor, to help them establish policies and procedures and manuals, um, and turn it over to the firm and have that person in the firm that's named CCO uh, manage that function going forward. So it's kind of like, here's your, here's your plan, now you execute it. And again, while a lot of people might have a legal background or a compliance background or a COO kind of background, it's not their expertise and it's not what they do on a daily basis. So many times it gets short shrift uh, and, it is, um, and it's not something that uh, they enjoy doing, so they don't spend a lot of time on it. When the annual review or the annual updates to ADV come around, that's probably the next time they look at their compliance program. Um, and so uh, it, it's not something that, that we advise. Obviously, we're in the business of, of um, offering out so as chief compliance officer, but uh, that's the way a lot of people get started. Yeah, and, I, and I'd say that's that's the that's the majority of them. I think there is some that aren't unfortunately doing anything, uh, which which again is highly inadvisable. And then the then the majority are engaged in some sort of consultant. And so, for that advisor, for that team that, that's going to have that RIA, maybe already does have an RIA, and is, some of this is resonating. And they say, yeah, I I really don't like being responsible for those things or or spending the time on those sorts of things. So. So that leads us to what is an outsourced CCO? So we know we have to have a named person. There's things that should be done to, to manage all this. So if, if someone comes to you, what, what is that offer? What, what do you do as a quote unquote outsourced CCO? So a fully outsourced CCO means one of our staff, one of our experienced um, chief compliance officers will be named on the ADV of the advisor as the chief compliance officer. And they really become a team member. So they are not only advising and, and developing the policies and procedures and manuals, but they're actually operating the program. So it's as if you had an on-site chief compliance officer on your team. Um, we offer a somewhat um, lesser service than that, which we call CCO Lite, in that we will operate that we'll, we'll will establish the policies, procedures, and manuals, all the same work, but someone on the RIA, in the RIA, will operate uh, that and will be listed on the ADV. So um, while we run the exact same program, it's sometimes preferable to the RIA to have um, their person can, still named on that ADV, and, and that's another option for us. But we take a considerable amount of time when we have a new client, whether they're already established or they're establishing an RIA, to onboard them. The onboarding process takes about two months so that we fully understand um, the type of business that this advisor wants to run. Um, it, it really, you know, our model is not based upon AUM. It's based upon the model of the business that is run there. So it's how many IARs do you have? How many locations do you have? What is your portfolio management strategy? Do you do a lot of advertising? 
Um, so we spend a, quite a bit of time to establish those policies, procedures, and manuals that are customized to that individual RIA. There are a lot of other consultants out there that have what I would deem a template that is kind of pushed down to the advisor and tried to make that fit into what they're up to. But we customize every, um, every compliance program that we design for that individual advisor. And it takes a considerable amount of time to get to know them. And we really want to become embedded, if you will, uh, with that advisor so that um, we're part of that team. And so you, you might have just kind of answered my, my next question with that, that thought there of just how much time you spend with them to understand the business, understand the practice, because a lot of advisors are trying to move away from that broker dealer world or maybe that large, large firm model in part because they feel, oh, compliance just tells me, no, I can't do anything. They're, they're not willing to, uh, to consider new things or whatever the case is. I want to get away from that. And yes, I realize I'm going to have some responsibility to do it myself, but that's a whole lot better than, than this, you know, this horrible situation I had before. So how do you, how do you balance that or navigate that of your responsibility? If you're going to take the CCO role and the role you play is to help that RA stay out of trouble at the same time, not given the same experience that they had before of, the, the compliance is a hindrance, not, not a help. So one of the things that we do is, is that part of that onboarding process is really we're evaluating the client as much as they're evaluating us. So um, maybe an overused term is, a, you know, the uh, culture of compliance. Um, there are, there are advisors that we don't want to work for um, that just, you know, say, yeah, let's check that box, check that compliance box, but we're going to do what we're going to do. Um, that's not the kind of folks that we want to work with. We really um, want to check to make sure that they uh, indeed are going to operate their business uh, in an upright fashion and that they're going to comply with the rules that we establish. Um, and and um, so it's really a two-way street. And there are advisors that we decline to, uh, to work with. So um, while they may be coming from a bigger firm uh, or a BD background. The BD is more uh, rules-based um, and as, as opposed to, you know, the, the SEC type of uh, uh, compliance procedure. So they generally had somebody that they've, they've uh, relied on uh, for their compliance questions, but it might be, you know, three offices down, they never meet that person and they don't have a relationship with them. If you have a compliance officer that's embedded in your firm and understands what you want to do, um, what we like to say is, hey, we know where you want to get to. Um, we don't think you can do it the way you've proposed it. Here's another way to get to the same answer that will be within the, the compliance procedures that we've established for you. So we want to be business partners. Uh, sometimes there are, there are um, opportunities to make a business decision. Here's the rule. Here's where we are. Here's how much you could, how much risk you might take on this opportunity. But um, at the end of the day, it's a business decision, and um, we want to identify uh, opportunities for folks to to get to the right answer. Yeah, I think that's you know, that's important. Is that that risk spectrum, right? Of of a lot of stuff. Some stuff's black and white and binary, and that that's that's perhaps helpful because those are easy easy decisions to make. And, and but a lot of it's that 
okay, where are we on the comfort level, the spectrum level? And so having someone like you kind of explain or you and your team explain what the options are and why one might be uh, better than another, I, I think is uh, certainly a value add for sure. Um, what about with, and, and I'm, I'm almost kind of going reverse chronological order of how someone might work with a firm like yours, but let's, let's say they've talked to you, they've talked to your team, they, they like everything. And so maybe it's an existing RA right now, or it's someone that's looking to transition to the RA model. They like your story. They like this concept of out, outsource CCO. Uh, and I think you allude to, it, but just to clarify, how, how long does that process take from the time they kind of get engaged with you to the, to the point where, okay, kind of things are up and going. And it's, it's always an evolution, right? But, but a bulk, a lot of work has to be done on that front end. I mean, realistically, what, what kind of timeline is that looking at? Yeah, you know, right now the SEC um, it gets back to us on applications. Um, I think they're um, required in 45 days. They're at about 30 days right now. So um, we like to say, give us 60 days uh, for a launch. And, and we think that gives us enough time to identify um, your business strategy and, and how you want to operate gets us uh, the ability to file the proper uh, framework if it's the new RIA. If it's an existing RIA, we still like to get about 60 days of onboarding because we're going to spend a lot of time with the principals of the firm uh, to understand what they're doing. One of the things the SEC doesn't like is if you, in fact, purchased a policies and procedures type of manual that is a template, if you will, it might say you're doing things that you're not. Um, <clears throat> the SEC doesn't like that. They want, if it says you're doing something in, in your manuals, they're, they're going to look for it. And, and many times they'll come in and say, hey, it says you're doing this, but we don't see any evidence of that. Why is that in your manuals? And that happens when um, people get kind of shoved down into a, uh, into a box. So we specifically design each program for the individual advisors, a business model. Um, so uh, the long answer to your, your question there, but it, about 60 days is what we think uh, a good onboarding takes. Yeah, that's that's good. I would be worried if you said 10 days, because I'd say, well, that runs counter to everything you just said about uh, needing to, to really dive in and, and uh, make it a partnership. So I, I think 60 days is, is quite reasonable. So all this sounds great. Okay, great. Well, I can have my RIA. I can meet my compliance responsibilities and not have to do it entirely on my own. And I can outsource it. Oh, fantastic. So of course, it always comes down to price. So every, everything has, has a cost. And obviously, if, if you're going to use a solution that provides more value, it's going to, it's going to cost more. So typically, how do you price out this type of service? So our, um, our business model is run much as an RAs. Uh, money management model is it's it's um although we're not asset under management based it is a retainer type of a uh, an arrangement so we charge a fixed retainer which allows the advisor to budget and, and not think that we're going to get nickel and dimed or have to get charged every time we have a call or every time we have a question so we'll quote up front an annual fee uh, that includes at least one <clears throat> on-site visit every year by your compliance officer uh, more if you like. Um, we'll run your calendar, which can be events-based or, or um, day-based. <clears throat> um, the fee is what we like to refer to as it's going to cost you about one-third of what it would cost you to have a dedicated um, CCO uh, in your office that you're going to go out and hire. So um, I'm a little reluctant to quote numbers, but uh, yeah. our fee is 
is either side of $50,000 annually for most of our clients. Um, we think that's a great value because you have access to an entire compliance department. Um, and another advantage I would say to having an outsourced CCO is if you have your own CCO um, and they're sending their kids to college, they're going to want to keep that job. And they may be, might be reluctant to uh, give you the answer that you want to hear more times than not. Um, and so one of the things that we say is to have an outsourced CCO, we're going to give you the, the down and dirty answer that uh, sometimes you're not going to want to hear, but it's going to keep your business uh, running and, and uh, in good stead with the, uh, with the SEC. So that's what we think is another advantage. Well, one other thing I'll mention while we're here, Brad, is that um, the other advantage is when the SEC does come calling, and they will, um, and right now they're about once every seven years for the average uh, ad advisor. Um, we're on site. If we're the outsourced CCO, our um, chief compliance officer will be on site as long as the SEC is. Now, you know, during COVID here, they haven't done any uh, on site exams, but that day's probably coming back at some point. And when it does, um, our CCO will be on site until they leave. And so when, when the CEO and the CCO get the letter for documents that are required, that comes to us and we will prepare everything and we'll be ready for them and uh, we'll be there until, until they're gone. There's uh, certainly a lot of peace of mind that comes from having that, uh, that, that partner there on site physically to help uh, through that, through that process. So um, yeah, I always explain in, in time, folks might ask me kind of how much these things cost. And I think it's just like you alluded to, it's, it's, it's more expensive than, than doing the, uh, the, the, the variation where you're hiring someone to kind of give you guidance and then, and then you're still retaining the responsibility yourself. But, but to your point, significantly less money than what it would cost all in with salary and benefits and everything for an experienced, that's the key too. not, not just have someone on your team, but someone experienced to do it yourself um, you know, your price range, that's, that's only a fraction of what that would cost someone to have a, a sole, uh, provider right there that, that that's the only thing they do in-house on the team. So re related to that, and we can kind of, a kind of come to conclusions on some numbers, but I mean, what size RIA do you see this really making sense? And so my, my take and that I welcome yours is obviously, and you, you keep alluding to SEC. So for those watching that don't know, that's $100 million and above, you'd be SEC uh, registered. And then there's just also economics with that. So even if you were, were smaller than that, at some point you say, okay, hey, it's tough to, to hire this kind of solution. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you, you arguably could get so large that, that maybe you can afford to have people on your staff and, and, and they might still consider outsourcing, but, but those, that math works. But so where, where's that kind of sweet spot that you think of, of it's, it's a great solution and that your experience and, you know, people seeing the value in it. Yeah. Probably, probably 90% of our clients are between, and I know this is a big range, but from 250 million to, to 1.5 billion. Um, most folks over that size, um, they probably are going to bring that in house. And we certainly understand that. One of the things that we do, we've got clients that are much larger than that. And they use us to augment their own compliance staff for projects or new rule implementations or, or something of that ilk. But um, most of the folks, when they get to $250 million in assets under management, they're creating some, some decent revenue and they understand the value that 
gets taken away from their clients and managing their portfolios by by compliance. And compliance is SEC rules are living and breathing and, and flexing all the time. So there are a couple of new rules coming in this year. Do you want to read that? Start with a blank piece of paper and, and implement that in your own advisor, or do you want to work with somebody who's done that for uh, hundreds of other people and can do it for you and make sure that you're compliant on the date that it's that it's required? So um, that answer, I think, about two hundred fifty million, I think, really makes a lot of sense. Now, Brad, we also work with with state registered folks in helping them establish their their RIA. So. We do some some work like that as well, where we'll charge a fee to get them registered and get their policies and procedures. But because there's 50 states, we're not uh, experts in all 50 of those states in the regulatory environment in every state. So we can help people get registered uh, as a state advisor, but we will not serve as a, a chief compliance officer. Yep, yep. For that hundred billion and above, yeah. It's certainly while it's not easy to stay on top of everything, the SEC related, and that's that's why folks like you and your firm exist is to is to pay attention to all those things. It's it is uh, a magnitude uh, more difficult to try to stay on top of fifty different you know state securities regulators or whatnot and the various changes. Um, for someone as we as we uh, get close here to wrap it up, for I'll I'll dovetail secondly into uh, you know your specific contact information, but for someone that. This is this is maybe resonated and they think this might be a good solution. A, a, a question I'm always a big fan of. I always want to help people understand what they can expect when they reach out. So let's say someone gives you a call. They've seen this episode. They've listened to this episode. They've never spoken to you otherwise before. What does that first conversation look like? Yeah, so we're, we're going to explain our value proposition to, to those folks. And we're going to want to talk to the principals in the firm and, and talk to them about, you know, if they're... There's a couple different scenarios here. If they're a breakaway firm um, that they're leaving a wirehouse or a larger bank and they want to establish, that conversation is a little bit different than someone that says, listen, I'm pulling my hair out because I've been trying to do this compliance thing myself. So uh, those conversations are, here's what we do. We know we're not the cheapest guys in town, um, but there's the value that you're going to get from this. You're not going to have to think about this again um, because we're going to run your program for you and we're going to run a pristine program that when the SEC comes in, um, you're going to be very comfortable with, with that. So it, it takes some time, again, to, uh, to have that conversation with our potential clients. A lot of them say that's, that's more than I want to spend or that's uh, more than I need right now. And we understand that. I will tell you that many people have gone to plan B and they come back to us and say, listen, I'm getting nickel and dime to that. All right, I, I understand where you're coming from now. I didn't realize I would still be doing all the work um, by going to plan B here. So um, we're, we're, we're not the hard sell guys. We're, here's our value proposition. Here's what we're going to charge you. And if you think this is right for you, we're going to have a, a pristine program for you. Perfect. If someone wants to have that conversation, what's the best way to get a hold of you or learn more about your firm? Yeah. So uh, it's Dinsmore Compliance Services. So you can check our website, DinsmoreCompliance-Services.com. Um, it's a little wordy, but my email is jeff.chapman uh, at DinsmoreCompliance-Services.com. And Brad, you've got my contact information if they want to contact you. Um, you know, we think uh, we think we've got a great program. That, that works for a lot of folks. And um, we're busy right now. There's a lot of people, as you know, 
uh, breaking away and forming their advisor. Um, there's a couple new rules coming this year that um, are keeping people very focused on their compliance program. So we're working with them on that. Um, so it's it's good times in the uh, in the business right now. We, we appreciate all the support we get. Indeed. Well, I will include that contact information in the show notes. So uh, for anyone that didn't uh, write that down, it will be in the show notes. You can access it that way. Um, and I would say, you know, a reminder to everyone out there that that has never been in the RA world and might might be moving to it or be thinking about moving to it. What one of the beauties of that is is if you have been your whole career perhaps in that captive employee model or maybe a 1099 model, and you know compliance is there, you don't have any say over who's on the team or how they interact. They basically just dictate to you how things are done. And then the beauty in the RA world, you, you have the ability to go out and hire the compliance consultant firm yourself. You, the advisors are their clients. And now the compliance consultant firm still has an obligation to perform their job, try to keep you uh, compliant, keep you from, from running afoul of rules. But the nice thing is for arguably a lot of advisors, the first time in their career, uh, they have say. So if that compliance partner is not responsive to their needs or is not open to, to thinking through solutions, you, you can find another uh, compliance provider that you think maybe has a better value proposition. And so that's a that's a great feeling for advisors to it's it's kind of almost a full 180 of, of not just being dictated to, but uh, Jeff, as you talked about, actually having a, a partnership and Jeff and his team have a an interest in retaining your business, you know, so they do need to be responsive. They do need to, to, to be willing to think things through. And again, you have to respect, you are hiring them to tell you when you should not be doing things or that things should be done differently. So there is a balance there, but it's by no means a one-way street, which for many advisors uh, currently it is. Um, so as a reminder, again, contact information in the show notes. If you head on over to transition to ra.com, you'll be able to see the show notes, uh, as well as all of the other resources I put out there, the video series, podcast series, white papers, all kinds of things. Uh, you can find it there, but, uh, hopefully everyone found this, uh, a, a useful resource to understand this concept of outsource CCO. Again, it is kind of a niche solution um, by design because as you can tell from everything Jeff described not not just anyone and everyone can provide this kind of solution and so I think it's important to have it in your consideration pool and understand what it is and and, and, and think about whether it, it is a right fit for your particular practice so Jeff with that I appreciate you coming on today thanks Brad glad to be here all right now 